You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the October 2020 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast during the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. I had wanted to write an editorial discussing my opinion on what the response of the medical community should be to the misinformation which has been disseminated by people in power about the pandemic. However, as there was an excellent recent editorial in the October 8, 2020 edition of the New England Journal of Medicine and entitled, Dying in a Leadership Vacuum, by the editors, I will therefore direct you to this article instead. Moving along, first article I would like to discuss is entitled Effectiveness of Tazolizumab in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis is Unaffected by Comorbidity, Burden, or Obesity. Data from a U.S. registry and is by Pappas for the Corona RA Registry. The aim of the study was to evaluate if high versus low comorbidity burden and obesity versus non-obesity altered the effectiveness on tazolizumab in patients with RA. The primary outcome measures were disease activity and physical function at 6 and 12 months after beginning tazolizumab treatment. The authors adjusted for statistically significant baseline differences between groups. The first first cohort consisted of 195 patients with a high modified Charlson comorbidity index and 575 patients with a low modified Charlson comorbidity index. The obesity versus non-obesity cohort consisted of five, 356 patients who were categorized as obese and 449 patients categorized as non-obese. The investigators found that there was no difference in disease activity as measured by CDAI or in function as measured by the HAC after either six months or one year. Please read this article to find out if the dose of tazolizumab per kilo altered response and the recommendations of the investigators for the use of tazolizumab in RA patients who had a high modified Charlson comorbidity index and or obesity. The next article to highlight is entitled The Ankylosing Spondylitis Performance Index, or the ASPI, Reliability and Feasibility of an Objective Test for Measuring Physical Function, and is by Van Bentham and colleagues. Physical function in axial spondylarthritis patients is frequently evaluated using questionnaires. The Ankylosing Spondylitis Performing Index, or the ASPI, is a new performance-based measure for physical functioning. This has been validated in a Dutch cohort with radiographically present 
axial spondyloarthritis. The cohort of the Curtin study consists of 68 patients, of which 57 were male, and 42 of them had radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. Authors found that all patients understood the instructions and considered the ASPI to reach its aim of physical function in 84%, and 85% of the patients felt it was representative of their physical function. The overall inter-rater and test-to-test reliabilities of the three tests combined were were 0.93 and 0.94 respectively. 82% of the patients were able to complete all the tests and 94% finished the testing within 15 minutes. Please read this article to determine for yourself if you believe that the ASPI would be a useful measure for your patients with both radiographic and non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. In keeping with the theme of outcome measures, the next article I would like to highlight is entitled Measuring Outcomes in Psoriatic Arthritis, Comparing Routine Assessment of Patient Index Data and Psoriatic Arthritis Impact of Disease, and is by Welsh and Collins. The aim of this study was to determine the construct validity of routine assessment of the patient index data, or the RAPID-3, and the psoriatic arthritis impact of disease, or the PSAD, in patients with psoriatic arthritis. The total cohort consisted of 347 patients who were enrolled in the psoriatic arthritis research consortium between 2014 and 2016. Just a reminder that the Psoriatic Arthritis Research Consortium is a longitudinal observational cohort conducted at four institutions in the USA. All of the 347 patients completed either the RAPID-3 or the PSAD-12. The investigators found that the RAPID-3 and the PSA-12 were highly correlated with an R value of 0.9, and they were, these measures were also correlated with the SF-12 PCS R value of 0.67, and the facet fatigue scale with high R value again of 0.77. Please read this article to determine which of the two measures you would prefer to use in your practice and what important contextual factors such as education, insurance, and depression should be considered in interpreting the raw data scores of these measures. And the authors also describe how these measures performed in different subgroups based on the presence or absence of enthesitis and the joint count.
The fourth article to highlight is entitled Hemophagocytic Lymphohistiocytosis Prevalence Risk Factors Outcome and Outcome-Related Factors in Adult Idiopathic Inflammatory Myopathies and is by Liang and colleagues. There is a accompanying editorial entitled Beneath the Storm, MAS-HLH in Inflammatory Myopathies by Grant Schiller. I picked this article to highlight the, this important, potentially life-threatening complication of not only inflammatory myopathies, but in fact, all rheumatic diseases. I will use the term macrophage activation, or MAS from now on, as it is, in my opinion, the preferable term for reasons I will discuss at the end of this article. MAS is seen in both adult and juvenile onset inflammatory myopathies. The aim of this study was to determine the prevalence risk factors outcome and outcome-related factors of MAS in patients with dermatomyositis, polymyositis, or amyopathic dermatomyositis. The authors reviewed all patients seen at the first affiliated hospital, Xiang University, from February 2011 to February 2019. They found that MIS was found in 4.2% of all of their patients, and it was fatal in 78% of the patients. Higher disease activity at the time of admission. Acute exacerbation of the interstitial lung disease. And infection were the risk factors associated with the development of MAS. In the accompanying editorial, Dr. Schulert gives an overview of the importance of the diagnosis and treatment in order to improve the outcome of this life-threatening complication of rheumatic diseases. I believe that this is an important article to read, not only regarding the care of patients with inflammatory myopathies, but also those with any rheumatic disease in both young and older patients. And I want to make one final point, and that is that we should use the term MAS and not HLH, as most, if not all, patients with this complication do not meet the, 20, the 2004 criteria for HLH, and therefore, the diagnosis is frequently missed or delayed if these criteria are used. Again, it's important to emphasize the early and diagnosis and aggressive rapid treatment of this life-threatening complication. The last article to highlight is entitled Scope of Outcomes in Trials and Observational Studies of Intervention Targeting Medication Adherence in Rheumatic Conditions, a Systematic Review by Kelly and colleagues. I'm highlighting this article because of the clinical importance of medication adherence in improving outcomes in all rheumatic diseases. The, it is important to see how interventions 
have progressed and what we can learn. The systematic review identified 53 studies that had that examined medication adherence as the primary or major objective. The authors concluded the following. Intervention studies targeting adherence were very heterogeneous and a consensus on re relevant outcomes will improve our reporting and comparison of adherent trials in rheumatology, emphasizing the fact that much more work has to be done. As adherence is so important an issue in treating rheumatic diseases, I believe this article is important reading to all clinicians to better understand the difficulties in measuring and intervening to improve medication adherence. I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all articles in the October 2020 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.com. We will continue to expedite the review of all articles, and particularly those involving the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic and COVID-19 infection. We will make the latter articles available as open access online prior to publication in our print journal. Please watch my interview with the senior author of, authors of selected COVID-19 articles, which are available for viewing at our website and on YouTube. And I want to remind you to read the editorial entitled Dying in a Leadership Vacuum regarding the lack of guidance and misinterpretation of data regarding the COVID-19 pandemic that was published in October, the eighth edition of the New England Journal of Medicine. If you have any comments or questions on these highlighted articles or any articles in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. Please listen to the November 2020 edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy in these trying times. Thank you.